and welcome back to Superhero Cinema, the weekly show about superheroes on TV, in the movies, and in comic books. I'm Michael. I'm Jefferson. And I'm Jonathan. And this is issue number five for the second week in April, 2007. I'm sorry about the erratic schedule. Uh, I've been sick for the last two weeks, and it, I actually still, as of tonight on Wednesday, have not uploaded the previous show, although we do have it. We did record one two weeks ago. and I, It's I, there. It, it does exist, and I will be getting exist. it up at one point. Um, you know, After this week, we hope to be getting back on schedule. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about during those two weeks um, that happened is we got a new logo. Uh, it's it's uh, it was done by a friend of ours uh, named Corey Gray. He's a graphic designer professionally, and uh, he uh, has a website www.thegraydomain.com. That's G R A Y thegraydomain.com, and he did a new uh, image that that I'm using on iTunes. It's it's now part of the podcast feed, and uh, as soon as the new episodes get uploaded, it'll be embedded into those. Yeah, so check it out. Tell us what you think. It's got a great little character on there. Uh, email us. Looks awesome. And uh, thanks, Corey, for that. Okay, next let's answer some of the letters that have been coming in for the last two weeks. And I'd like to thank any, everyone who uh, emails us. That uh, We really love that. It uh, really helps us keep going. really gives us a reason to do this. Let us know that people are out there listening to the show and enjoying it. Yeah, we're here for you guys. You know, we want to hear from you. So this is awesome. Speaking of fans, the first email had come from uh, Blake, who actually sent us an email that was a variety casting notice of uh, us being cast in The Dark Knight after we joked about that as, as a rumor that we would start, that uh, we would be all be playing parts in The Dark Knight. He actually did write up a variety piece to try to kind of start that rumor going, and, and I've posted it on the website, so uh, check that out on our uh, website, SuperheroCinema.com. Although I'm not going to be posing in any sort of swimsuits anytime soon, so sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had you pegged for the Harvey Bullock role, Jonathan. Oh, wow, even yeah. Though, even though I don't know what you look like. I, I'll I try to be I a bit more gruff. More like her name on Toya, so I'm going <laughs> to... And uh, also in his email, he actually asked some questions. Uh, he wanted to know that he had read online about the future Superman sequel, the sequel to Superman Returns, that uh, the villains might be Brainiac and Metallo. He wasn't sure he'd read that, um, whether it had been Wikipedia or something like that. And uh, I actually remember that coming up, although um, it, it came about because of interviews with Brian Singer, and basically what he was saying was, when, when they when they first confirmed that there was going to be a film, that it did get greenlit, uh, that the studio is going to back it, part of that is true, him saying that the that it would have a more action, basically. Um, it's also been kind of, not, not by Brian Singer, but it's been put out there that it'll have a lower budget, which is interesting when you couple that with more action. But, um, but Brian Singer did talk about that, that it, it would be more action or Oriented, it would be Superman fighting someone that that would engage in actual battles with him. Um, although I looked online and I couldn't find any reference to him ever mentioning an actual villain by name. So Brainiac and Metallo would just purely be rumor and speculation at this point. Oh, they would yeah. be the next obvious choices as far as Superman's list of villains goes. If they're not going to do General Zod again or Lex Luthor again, then, then Brainiac and Metallo would be they'd be the next guys. And that actually got mentioned as well. There was uh, some interviews with uh, Brandon Routh where he was being asked about villains for it, and, and he kind of said the same thing, that it'll be more action-oriented, that it'll be someone that he can actually fight. And I guess he had seen Internet Rumor talking about General Zod, and he basically said, yeah, we're not going to do General Zod. That really wouldn't make sense to, to go with as this film. They want to do something different, something original. Definitely a non-Lex Luthor villain, but uh, probably not General Zod. So I kind of remember who Brainiac is. He's green and... 
Brainiac Doesn't originally he originally yeah. appeared in the fifties. He was a so he was I can't remember if he was a robot or not, but he was an alien, maybe a robot who uh, collected he was an alien information robot. from planets. Yeah, he was an alien robot, and his deal was that he would go to planets and collect all their their data and all their library of information and literature, and and then destroy the planet. So he would have the last scraps of information from each planet that he visited, and then later on they kind of tied him into Krypton and in the Superman animated series from the 90s they decided that Brainiac was the the computer that ran Krypton and he did that to Krypton he was the one that was semi responsible for it blowing up because he wanted to store steal all its data and information and so that's kind of they kept that original stick but they added the fact that he's actually from Krypton and I imagine that that would be the the backstory they would go with if they yeah, did and, they, the and they've done quite a few versions. I mean, Smallville just did a recent completely different version, although it also tied him to Krypton. Um, there had been a couple different versions in the comics. I mean, they, they, they'd redone him a little bit in the 80s and then scrapped that completely in the 90s. Um, and, and they've reinvented the character a couple of times. Yeah, there was a recent – I guess it wasn't that recent, but uh, – pre-2000 i think it was 1999 they did a long storyline in the comics where uh, brainiac basically rebuilds metropolis metropolis gets destroyed and it gets rebuilt by brainiac so there's all these high-tech gadgets and computers built into all the buildings in metropolis interesting the one constant has basically been that he is a living computer yeah Gotcha. And the Metallo is kind of like that Terminator-looking dude, right? Right. Metallo is, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the Terminator is pretty much says it. He's, he's a, a, he was a petty thug who was in some horrible accident and had, had his body rebuilt as a robot body, but his power source is a big hunk of kryptonite. That's his shtick. That's why he's so well-suited to fight Superman is because he has this kryptonite power source, and so he can open a little door in his chest and expose Superman to kryptonite anytime he wants. The one uh, incarnation of him I like when they put him in the Superman animated series in the 90s, he was voiced by Malcolm McDowell, who continued being the voice of that character all the way through Justice League Unlimited. Malcolm McDowell, who, of course, is now appearing in Heroes. Ah, well, we'll see if either of these two guys pan out. Yeah, hopefully one of them. And those are the two, certainly the two most likely choices if they want battle scenes in the new film which i think i think is maybe a nice thing for them to shoot for i loved the action scenes in superman returns but there weren't enough of them and there was too much navel gazing in between i thought well and the actual <laughs> scenes pretty much all involved him lifting large heavy objects which he does a lot granted but yeah maybe we could yeah. we could get a little bit more uh, imagination going on that but that was definitely a complaint with superman returns that i read a lot online that 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 they did do action sequences but the action sequences were him lifting big things not fighting things so thanks for that question blake Moving on to another email uh, from Jason, uh, this one. He asked a similar kind of thing, something that he had seen online. Um, This is actually, he had read on Will Wheaton's blog that Will Wheaton from uh, Star Trek uh, The Next Generation played Wesley Crusher and uh, now primarily uh, still kind of acts. He he also does uh, some stand-up comedy, some improv comedy, uh, but he's primarily at this point known for his blog, which he's been doing for quite a long time and one of the the more famous blogs online. Um, he, He had done an entry that basically was talking about an interview with Zack Snyder, the director of Watchmen, where someone had asked him if Will Wheaton would be a good person for Night Owl. And while Zack Snyder obviously wouldn't commit to any casting or didn't say that he thought it was a good choice, what he did say was that he thought it was an interesting choice. He said that, that that's more of the way he's thinking. That's more in line with what he's going for instead of uh, some of the internet rumor, internet fantasies, people talking Matt Damon or just whoever is the biggest name actor at the time, that it's an interesting character. 
casting choice and that he likes that. And that's that's good news. That's that's something I like to hear. I think the the characters in The Watchmen are so well defined that they're they're just they're not going to be served by hiring movie stars to play them. Because you know Matt Damon appears in The Watchmen, you're not going to see the character. You're going to see Matt Damon. He's too too much of a movie star. Yeah, and he'll be playing Matt Damon as yes, exactly. Night Owl exactly. instead of some character being the Night Owl, right? Yeah. And Will Wheaton obviously uh, got into that and said that he would be thrilled to play Night Owl, although he he, he even he himself doubts it might happen. Yeah, he uh, he's a little bit too skinny, if nothing else. Yeah, he'd have to put on like 100 pounds, right? Might be the only time anyone in Hollywood was ever too skinny for anything. <laughs> and uh, and Jason also asked a question about uh, heroes. He, he basically wanted us to talk about whether we thought that the hiatus was too long, that, that he thought his, his, his premise or his idea was that, that that had killed X-Files, and he wanted to know that having these long stretches between episodes of heroes could hurt the show in the long run. Yeah, that's something I was whining about a few weeks ago on the on the podcast too. Yeah, and and actually my take on it is I don't think it does. Um I think that it hurt X-Files when X-Files was already towards the end of its run. I think when a show is a hit, when a show is big like Heroes is now, I think you probably can move it around and I think you can go for long stretches and it's not going to matter because people are going to search out the show because it's a hit show. Um if it was like say the fourth season of Heroes and it and it went six weeks between episodes, I would think, yeah, there's a possibility it won't come back. Um, in this case, I really like it because I, what they've done is, is by having these long stretches, they've guaranteed that when they do do new episodes, there are no repeats. I mean, they did uh, 11 episodes straight right off the bat. Then they did seven episodes and they're going to finish up with five episodes and all of that without any repeats. So you get pretty sustained story there. Yeah. I'm of two minds about that. On the one hand, I agree that especially for a series like heroes, which is an ongoing story, repeats are a really bad idea. Cause that's just going to confuse a new audience. If you have, you know, chapter four and then you go to a repeat of chapter one. On the other hand, I do agree that, that it, I don't, I don't like the long gaps between, between episodes. I mean, that's, it's not enough to make me stop watching the show, but he did make a valid point in his email about how occasionally the fill-in show will end up doing better than, than the show that it's filling in for. That certainly isn't going to be the case with Heroes. I think Heroes doesn't need to worry about that, especially now since it's so fresh and new and it is a huge hit show, but it could be a danger for the future if they, uh, and it could be a danger for other similar shows. Well, I think that since Heroes isn't the first show to have done this, I think that, you know, your, your audience are a little more okay with the types of shows when they take these long breaks like Lost has done it, 24 has done it so I think that so long as you build a loyalty for a show fans will come back, they'll be okay with the break they know that they're willing to make this kind of sacrifice in order to have these long unbroken strings of shows You know, they'll, they'll forget about the long break as soon as it's back on again I right. think you're right about that. I think, it, I think it's kind it. of borne that out just to compare it to what it's closest to, which you just mentioned. It was Lost. I mean, Lost just had a long break that people were really, really complaining. I mean, it was it was quite a long break. It was, it was several months. And they came back, and their first couple episodes back were really low ratings, and everyone was kind of worried, saying, is Lost done? But then, from my understanding, they've really kind of hit their stride in the episodes since they've, the episodes have been getting better, and people are coming back, and the ratings are better when the show's better. Yeah. Right, exactly. And that's not a factor of the fact that they took a long break, I think. I think it's just the fact that Lost is having some problems. But yeah, go check out a Lost as... podcast if you want to see that kind of... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on to another email. This one comes from Jeff from Thornton, Colorado, which is kind of in mine and Jonathan's neighborhood. What's up, Jeff? He uh, asks us, in general, what superhero characters not currently being done or done before would you like to see made into movies or TV shows? 
Well, we could do a whole podcast just about this. Yeah, we, we could spend my, quite a time on that, but let's just throw out a couple. My list is endless. Um, a lot of a lot of my favorite comic book characters, though, aren't necessarily superhero characters. So I'm gonna I'm gonna expand Jeff's question to include non-super comic book characters. And of course, my all-time favorite comic book character is Jonah Hex, who was a DC Comics uh, Wild West character. He was uh, the series was relatively popular. In the 70s, uh, DC was publishing a whole line of westerns, and uh, Jonah Hex was the most popular one. And they've occasionally done done revivals of him. They did a revival in the 90s where they kind of made it more of a horror title where he fought zombies and, and evil sorcerers and stuff. And they, they did a, a spinoff series in the 80s where they sent him into the future, and it was a science fiction thing. I remember that. That was called just Hex. Hex, Yeah. And current, they currently are publishing a series which is back to just fairly straightforward Western action. But it always had kind of a sinister bent to it, even if it wasn't outright supernatural horror. It always had a, a bit of a, a horror edge to it. And uh, I think he'd make a great film character. And uh, they have done several times in the comics. They've they've established that he exists in the DC universe. So he's met, he's traveled in time and met most of DC's major superhero characters. Right. He's, he's appeared a- in the Justice League Unlimited series. He appeared in Batman. He appeared in Batman, and when he appeared in Justice League, he was played by uh, Adam Baldwin from Firefly. Um, but I would love to see him get a get a film. I think he'd make it make for a great, especially if they went with the slightly more supernatural horror element of of his story. Yeah, I would I would say if you can do that, then that's that would make it interesting because otherwise it would just be pretty standard Western. Western stuff. Yeah. It, it would be Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven, basically. Yeah, well, yeah, somewhat. I mean, not not really. But um, yeah, if you mix in some of the kind of horror, fantastical elements, then you've got something interesting there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another one of my favorite comic characters is John Sable, who uh, was an independent comic published in the... It was very popular in the 80s. It's currently being reprinted. He did have a, a very short-lived television series. Very short-lived, series very 80s. horrible television series. It was lasted for, I believe, eight episodes, and it was bloody awful. Um, I'd love to see him done right. I remember that series. I actually watched it. Yeah, so did I. I uh, I used to have a, a run of the whole series on very cruddy video cassette at one point. Great uh, Mike Grell character. Yeah, yeah, Mike Grell who uh, rose to prominence doing uh, Green Arrow and the Warlord and the Warlord, which he, who is also on my list of characters I'd love to see in film. Um, other characters that I'd be interested in would be the Question, who's been kind of. Ah, uh, you stole the, one from my list. Ah, good well, choice. And, and he's been he's been in the the public's eye right now because he's been a major character in DC's Fifty Two, their their year long series, their year long event series. Now I thought about this one, and and the question was the top of my list. But after thinking about it a little while, I I did say to myself, but not as live action. Only if he could be done as a direct to DVD animated. Really? Would you Would you keep Jeffrey Coombs as the the voice actor? Um, see, I don't know, because it wouldn't be that question. It wouldn't be the one that Jeffrey Coombs played on Justice League Unlimited. It would be the original Danny O'Neill. Well, not the original Danny O'Neill. The, the original characters from the 60s uh, was a Steve Ditko character. But I'm talking about the 1980s Danny O'Neill version is the version that I would like to see. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's the most intriguing. I think it'd make a good... I mean, I don't know if I would make a barrier as far as live action. I think it has some really interesting visual stuff going on that, that would look pretty neat live action on a big screen, but would look nearly as good animated as well. And the last two on the list that I made were uh, Zatanna, um, you know, DC's sexy magician girl. I think that she'd be fun. And uh, mo- the only one on my list from Marvel is uh, Cloak and Dagger. I think uh, Cloak and Dagger are a couple of Marvel characters, fairly obscure. Um, yeah, I could see that. 
Yeah. But they would again a lot of interesting visual stuff. You know, the the two characters are very interesting to look at, and I think that especially with digital effects, you could really make a visually interesting film using those characters. Yeah, because they were basically black and white. I mean, that's uh, the male character Cloak um, was a black male who wore a cloak, and basically his power would be that he would disappear into darkness. Um, he would be able to basically transport himself dimensionally, but it, the way it would fit, it would visibly appear would be him him disappearing into darkness. And uh, Dagger was a white female who wore a white outfit, and uh, I believe it was just kind of like an energy dagger kind of thing was her. Ability. Yeah, she their their abilities kind of went together because I mean their shtick was that they they were I mean they came out in the eighties and they were basically sort of just say no characters. They were anti drug characters was the point of them. And so Dagger could shoot these little bolts that would purify your system to such a, a shocking degree that they would stun you. And Cloak was sort of an energy vampire. He would he could suck the energy out of people, and he could if he brought people inside his little cloak, they would see horrible nightmares and and that kind of thing. And so he would kind of try to scare kids into getting off drugs, and that was the original shtick of the the comic back in the in the eighties. I agree. It would be very visual. Again, yeah, some gorgeous visuals possible there. Well, on my list, you already stole the question, um, but I'm going to follow it up with Firestorm, who, uh, and again, a, a character with multiple versions. It would be the original, uh, back in the mid-70s, uh, original character Firestorm, who was uh, known as Firestorm, the nuclear man, who uh, basically was created by two people who fused together into one being. Uh, it was uh, Ronnie Raymond and Professor Stein. And the idea is, is kind of a Spider-Man in that it was a teenager dealing with teenage problems and having a teenage mind. But when he would become Firestorm, he would basically, the two bodies would merge into a, into a brand new being. Um, but the Ronnie, the teenager, was in control of the body, and the professor was a kind of disembodied head, disembodied voice that would be able to advise Ronnie and, and help him de- uh, decide what he was going to do. And, and the powers were very cool in that he could basically do anything. He had control over molecules, so he could basically turn anything into anything. Um, and the character branched – it had a very short run in the comics, but then uh, kind of has had some longevity because he was used in the uh, Super Friends series towards the end of its run. And uh, it was a very cool visual character, very cool costume. I actually it's, – it's one of the few action figures I have sitting on my desk at work. Oh, that's kind of cool. And uh, my, uh, I have one Marvel character, and uh, that's Nova, which is kind of in a similar vein. It's, it's, it's also teenager kind of trying to capture that Peter Parker teen angst spirit. Um, it's essentially a, a uh, Marvel version of a t- what if a teenager uh, was Green Lantern, essentially. It's, it's, it's a character who – a teenager who, who gets the powers of the Nova Guardians of the Nova Force that, that makes him a member of the, the Nova – I don't remember what it's actually called. The, the, it was the Nova team that basically were galactic guardians that were essentially the Green Lanterns. And he had kind of a big old helmet too, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he had. The, basically, his powers would get turned on when he would put on the helmet. He uh, he was normal until he, he he had a collapsible metal yellow helmet that he put on, and then he became Nova, and uh, he could fly and had super strength. And it would be a good, very good visual character. Also, a younger lead character, which the 
the movie producers seem to like these days. Jonathan? Oh, you know what? Mine were actually not really specific characters. I think I would kind of go for more series that included some of the, the cool characters that I enjoyed. So, like, my first one would be harking back to the 80s from the, the Marvel superhero Secret Wars, where it was a 12-issue <laughs> 12, 12 series, and you had all the Marvel characters came together on this... Um, other dimension or something where they're they're battling each other and then they end up battling this um, godlike being called the Beyonder and that's when Spider-Man got his alien costume and so I think just that whole storyline with all the characters would just make a perfect maybe not necessarily you know big budget feature yeah, movie it would but never yeah, be done as kind a live action DVD. but it would exactly. be a great animated directed DVD. Exactly, because there's just so much there you know that you can make a, it's just a great storyline. Yeah, it's interesting um, to note, too, that uh, a lot of things that happened in that storyline had really long-reaching effects on the characters in the Marvel Universe, like Spider-Man's black costume, and that was when She-Hulk joined the uh, Fantastic Four and, and came to the forefront as a, as a right. character that things stayed behind. Yeah. was interesting, right? It's interesting. I'm actually gathering fan films right now, and uh, I was watching a lot of them today on YouTube, and there's one that was a... Uh, a Marvel superheroes Secret Wars reenactors club. It, it, it was it was a parody <laughs> film. It was not a real thing. Far out. It, it was a, a, a like a, a comedy TV series had done this as a segment that was basically doing a thing that was making fun of Civil War reenactors, and the idea was that it was people going out on the weekends in a in a park dressing up as the characters from Secret Wars reenacting the battles of Secret Wars. And, and this was a live-action fan film that someone actually – well, not a fan film. It was it was a segment on a TV show, but it was hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, they would have a little bit more trouble in reenacting my second choice, which would be uh, the Infinity Gauntlet series, which had Thanos who uh, was going out and seeking out these power gems. And once he got all of them in his gauntlet, he was basically – the god of the Marvel Universe. And so it was a very cosmic, you know, again, all the superheroes were coming together. And uh, I just think Thanos is a fascinating character. I mean, he's the, the embodiment of deaths, almost. He was in love with the embodiment of death. And so he just has this kind of cool, bad, badassness to him, you know. So that would be my second choice. It would be Thanos, the Infinity Gauntlet there. Good choices. Yeah, interesting visuals there. Too. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, you've got all these these huge cosmic, you know, the embodiment of good and evil. And then you've got, you know, it's like the universe as a character. So, again, it probably wouldn't work on the big screen because all this might be way too obscure for the average moviegoer. So. Well, if I remember rightly, the whole story took place in outer space, too, didn't it? Yeah, I would say at least 90, 95%. Yeah, because the Silver Surfer was a big character in it. Science yeah. fiction yeah. film. Hey, maybe if uh, the... Fantastic Four film goes over well. They'll give the Silver Surfer his own movie, and that could be this. They could do a version of that story. It's not excellent. Uh, there you go. Completely outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> <laughs> and my my last choice was uh, from the Vertigo DC universe was uh, the Sandman. I would do something with the Sandman and his sister Death, and maybe get you know that guy from the Cure to you know play the Sandman. So. <laughs> That would He's be awesome. a little bit, a little bit too old and fat now, unfortunately. Robert Smith. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was. I mean, I'm sure it's stalled out by now, but there was talk of a. There was a Sandman film in development. Roger Avery, who was the uh, co-writer of Pulp Fiction with Quentin Tarantino, was working on a 
at least a treatment. He was working on something that was supposed to turn into a Sandman feature. Yeah, I'll have to research it, but I know that that was being worked on for a long time. I I believe Neil Gaiman was was part of the slowdown on that. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Um, I I don't know that that concept would would translate particularly well to film because that was so... I mean, so much of that series was, was the long, ongoing nature of it it wasn't i don't th- i don't I, I have a hard time seeing how you could distill that into a right a, a two-hour film that would be entertaining and that people would understand but but i could be yeah there. it's definitely designed for a comics medium so that would be kind of tough to do well we thank jeff for his email and uh thank all of our letter writers and uh, keep them coming now let's get on to the new stuff for the week let's talk news you can always get additional info and links to these stories on our website, SuperheroCinema.com. The front page of the site will always keep you updated on the latest info about superhero movies and TV shows from all over the web. So first up, it's a current update on Box Office. 300 has now made over $367 million worldwide. $194 million of that is just in the U.S. So it's done quite a bit foreign. It's, it's a huge success. Um, definitely a good thing. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I think they made their money back there, didn't they? Oh yeah, and then some. Exactly. I think. I mean, I think that's great news. But I mean, it bodes well for for comic book movies in general. But it also bodes well for the approach of letting directors who know what they're doing just get on with it and not interfering with them. I mean, my my sense was that because he wasn't asking for all that much money, they just let Zack Snyder do the movie that he wanted to do, and it ended up being a, a huge success, and they're making tons of money off of it. So hopefully this will sort of send a message that, that this is how you make lots of money off your movies, is that you hire competent directors and writers and let them do it and don't interfere with them too much. Well, there's a hundred years of film studio history fighting against that. I know. But let's know. hope they get the message. Yeah, yeah, so look for the sequel come to theater near you, three hundred and one. Right. <laughs> knowing knowing the theaters, knowing the the system today. Well, you know, Frank Miller did actually say that he has a sequel in mind for it. So who knows? Maybe maybe three hundred and one isn't too far off either. Oh boy. <laughs> Okay, uh, The Incredible Hulk, which uh, is starting to shoot this summer. Um, it will shoot in Ontario, Canada. And uh, the reports are that it's uh, actually already starting to take up several large sound stages and uh, that they're running out of room. <laughs> they're trying to figure out where they're going to fit all the sets and everything. But uh, it definitely means that it's, it's moving forward, although there is still no casting announced. Uh, we still have no Bruce Banner. I'm sure they're talking to lots of people. They're just not ready to make an announcement yet. Um, the director of that, uh, again, is Louis Leterrier, who uh, directed The Transporter. The script is by Zach Penn, who wrote X2, X-Men 2. And uh, the newest information is that the uh, studio or the company that is creating the CGI Hulk for the film is Rhythm and Hughes, um, whose past creations include The Pig from Babe and Aslan uh, the Lion from uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This is actually their first human-like character, and they actually got the job after spending several months doing research and development on creating an actual CGI Hulk that they were able to present to the studio and show where they were going on that, and the studio liked it, and they got the job. So we're certain now that this film is being made, they're pretty much completely disregarding the, the Ang Lee Hulk. 
Um, I don't know that it's completely disregarded. It, they still haven't said whether it's going to be a direct continuation or a complete reboot. Um, in all likelihood, they're still going to act as if that film happened, but th- thematically, stylistically, story-wise, they're not going to do a direct continuation of it. Uh, my hope is that they just basically use it uh, as establishing that the Hulk exists, that there's been an origin, and that they don't have to redo that. Right, which would probably, yeah, that would be a good idea. But definitely there's no casting carryover or anything like that. Um, There's no direct visual carryover. It's a totally brand new CGI Hulk, obviously, because they can't use Eric Bana. The CGI was was based on him. Um, In casting news, Eric Johnson, who played Whitney, uh, that was basically the the rival to Clark and the uh, football hero and Lana's original boyfriend from Smallville, has been cast as Flash Gordon in Sci-Fi Channel's Flash Gordon TV series. This sounds like fun to me. This was the first I heard about it was when I read the show notes for tonight. But it sounds, I mean, I've always thought Flash Gordon was a cool, neat visual idea that, that uh, I think could be fun as a new series. Yeah, it'll be interesting. They're obviously going younger, um, which is which is kind of cool. I'll be curious to see what their take on it's going to be. And Leslie Bibb, who uh, most recently was seen in Ricky Bobby Talladega Nights, although not by me. Um, She was also in the series ER, and uh, I actually do remember her from the series Popular. Um, She's been cast in Iron Man as, uh, quote, a fast-talking reporter. Um, Obviously a new character for it. I don't remember a character like that in Iron Man, so someone just for the movie. And uh, another Iron Man note, um, we we were talking a couple weeks ago, kind of speculating when, when we were going through the casting and we listed Robert Downey Jr. is uh, Tony Stark Iron Man and Gwyneth Paltrow is playing Pepper Potts. We uh, kind of talked about whether she would be a love interest or not, kind of saying, you know, if you're going to spend all that money and get Gwyneth Paltrow, you would think she would be a love interest. Although uh, Pepper Potts, I don't think, has normally ever been a love interest for Tony Stark in the books. Uh, there were several photos from the set that uh, were leaked out to the internet a couple weeks ago and among those photos was a picture of uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow kissing in character so we can kind of figure it out from there. We're back to our love interest argument again. She's got to be a love interest. Whether she couldn't just be the spunky secretary sidekick? Can't just be the sidekick, yeah. Maybe she's the spunky risque sidekick. Mm, Maybe Maybe she shouldn't have been kissing him. Who knows? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, uh, we 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 can't really criticize this movie yet since it's yeah, not even done. Yeah. So, <laughs> they're they're uh, shooting right now, so yeah, we're not gonna you know say something doesn't work when we haven't actually seen it yet. We haven't uh, seen it. A, a love triangle with uh, Tony and Rhodey could be interesting. Yeah, exactly, and that could actually fuel drama for the story as opposed to just being attacked on extra. So uh, yeah, here's hoping we'll uh, we'll try to be optimistic. Um, in producing news, uh, Lauren Schuler Donner, who uh, has been the producer on the X Men films, she was also the producer on Constantine. She's also you know, produced a whole lot of other films. Uh, she also happens to be uh, director Richard Donner's wife, the director of the Superman films. Um, she is also responsible for the upcoming Wolverine and Magneto spinoffs that they're supposed to be doing, uh, although those are not actually shooting or anything, but they have been planning on those. Um, her newest project that's been announced is she is going to be producing DC Comics' The Metal Men. Oh, this could be fun. Uh, again, an interesting visual possibilities there. The Metal Men are, uh, I think it's five different characters who are all different types of metal, and they can stretch and... and do the kinds of things that the the uh, Terminator, if the uh, enemy in Terminator Two did, yeah, they they could kind of sploosh around and and a lot of opportunity, of course, for uh, for CG effects. Uh, could be visually interesting, but I could see it just as easily getting buried under too many CG effects. 
You'll, you'll you'll all note that the Metal Men did not make any of our lists of characters that we'd like to see uh, turn into films. <laughs> no, but I did. I do imagine that they made the list of cheapest DC properties to pay for. Yeah, that's probably true. Moving on, uh, another producing note, um, actor Ben Stiller, who has his own production company, because almost all actors have their own production companies, which basically means that, that they just function as, as a creative producer. They basically buy properties, pay for things, own books, um, own things that they can turn into movies at some point. Um, he is producing an animated film for DreamWorks Animation. These are the people who brought us Madagascar, Shark Tale, and Over the Hedge. I don't necessarily say that as a good thing thing um they're going to be doing a film called mastermind which is going to be a, a cgi animated film uh kind of a superhero bent um I, could be good could be bad could be funny could be incredibles uh, could be metal men who knows the the take <laughs> on it is that the villain uh who is the hero of the movie mastermind but mastermind is a villain who in the first scene of the movie accidentally kills the hero that he fights against, Uberman, and spends the entire rest of the film trying to figure out what his life means now. He kind of goes into a uh, malaise about what he's going to do with his life now that he has no villain to fight or no hero to fight. That sounds very existential. It, it's a it's a cute idea. It could be. It, I mean, it could be an Incredibles, but it could just as easily be something lame too. It really. I mean, the idea is a, it's a nice starting point, but it really depends on where they go with it from there. And as Michael sort of alluded, DreamWorks does not exactly have a stellar track record in this regard for their animated film. They're definitely always running kind of second best to Pixar. Um, uh, well, let me, let me kind of amend that. They did have one huge success, which is Shrek, which is, which is just now coming up with the third one that came from DreamWorks Animation. And uh, I kind of skewed the list a little bit with, with ones that I didn't think were as good. Shrek definitely is good, and, and they've done incredibly well with those films. On some DVD releases, which we kind of talk about each week, uh, almost every week they, they kind of announce more uh, DVDs that are superhero-related, which which I enjoy because I want everything that's ever been existing for superheroes to be out on DVD. Well, let's think about that for a second. Ghost Rider, <laughs> they've uh, announced, will be out on DVD June 12th. Uh, there will be two versions. There'll be a single disc, just the movie, and a second disc extended or two disc extended edition with uh, additional things on the second disc. Also on DVD, uh, coming July 24th, is uh, The Secrets of Isis, the 1970s children's series that uh, was a spinoff of the Shazam live-action series. Um, the entire series will be available this summer. This, this could be actually kind of interesting, because DC has kind of readopted this character, and she's another character that was featured heavily in the 52 event series that's been going on and so they have they've established her as a current character in the dc continuity so it could be could be fun to watch the the origin of the character on the other hand it could be bad 70s television i guess we'll it, it was bad that. 70s television but it was bad 70s television that i grew up with so i would like to see it again <laughs> since yeah. it's probably been 30 years since i've seen the show so you're gonna be buying yeah. a little piece of your childhood there so this one's a little different and a little interesting. Uh, Wizard Magazine has a report about David Goyer, the uh, screenwriter and director. Uh, he was the screenwriter of all the Blade films, the director of the third one. Uh, he was also the screenwriter of Batman Begins. And uh, we discussed him a couple weeks back as being the screenwriter of The Flash, although he's now left the project and they're continuing to work on it without him. Um, he has sold a project to DC or to Warner Brothers. Now, just to kind of 
talk about what this means. This means that he's made a deal with Warner Brothers. They've they've paid to put this into de- for him to develop this as a producer. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it would definitely happen. It just means that it's something that's going to be worked on. He's not actually writing this. He's producing it. It's a project called Supermax. And the concept is uh, that Supermax is not a character. Supermax refers to a prison um, that uh, would be a super – it would be a maximum security penitentiary for super – for rogue superheroes and for superpowered villains um, that would be able to contain uh, villains and heroes with powers. And uh, the idea of the story is that it would take a hero, uh, Green Arrow – who would be basically only as Green Arrow in about the first 10 minutes of the film. He would then be captured, uh, falsely accused of a crime, captured, forced to reveal his identity uh, through the course of his trial, be out of costume. Basically, if you're familiar with Green Arrow, the character always has a goatee. They'd shave his goatee and put him in the maximum security penitentiary for supervillains. And then at that point, it's it's basically an escape from prison film. Um, the idea is that uh, Green Arrow is in there with villains and in there with villains that he's captured. Um, but uh, eventually, in his uh, intention to escape, he has to team up with the very same villains that he put in there in order to get out. Wow, the saddest part about that is he's have to shave, he has to shave off his goatee. So it's a really intriguing concept. Um, it's obviously if it's licensed, since it's a licensed uh, from DC concept, it would be a huge opportunity to put a lot of B and C list DC villains. Which he said his intention his intention would be to have a lot of villains who you'd recognize them by their powers. Um, you might, if you know the comics really well, you might recognize them by their real names, but they wouldn't be using their supervillain names necessarily, and they'd all be out of costume. They'd all be basically wearing prison uniforms. So it's kind of for the fans. If you if you know the characters from the comics, you'll recognize them. You'll be excited by that. But if you don't, you won't care. Yeah, and that I mean to me that could kind of in a way be a danger that could shut the film down or shut the story down. I, that was something that I thought uh, uh the X-Men films that was a direction that they were sort of spiraling towards, especially the third X-Men film. Too many characters from the comics whose only function in the film was to be a character from the comics that they shoved into the film. There were so many characters that that didn't need to be there. They just put them in because somebody was thinking, "Ooh, wouldn't it be cool if we put this character in?" And so I think with with a concept like this, it, I mean, it sounds really interesting, but it could easily devolve into nothing but cute references to comics that only a very minuscule amount of the audience is going to get. But that said, I mean, done right, it could be a lot of fun. I, I just I love the idea of uh, the Great Escape with supervillains, which is essentially what it is. Right, and and the character being Green Arrow is essentially incidental. It's it's just superhero in the prison having to team up with the villains that he's fought against previously. Yeah, I'd I'd be interested to know uh, what the thinking was, why why they settled on Green Arrow and not somebody else. Whether it was because he's been in the public eye because he's been on Smallville, or whether they're thinking the other way and he's obscure enough that they can make massive changes to his character for a film and and people won't it won't matter. You know, you couldn't really do this as a Batman film because you can't. You know, revealing Batman's identity would be such a huge change to the character's formula that I, I think they'd really be loath to do that in a in a film. And I'd be curious to find out that whether this happens or not, while it's being worked on, does that affect the ability of anyone else to be working on a Green Arrow film? Because I'd still love to see a Green Arrow TV series or, or feature film at some point. A proper 
with the origin and the everything. Yeah, I agree. I'd, I'd almost rather see the character saved for a, an actual Green Arrow film. But yeah, again, this is something that he, he sold the concept to Warner Brothers, means he has the ability to work on it. But uh, just to kind of inform it a little bit, he'll be working on this as a producer. And at the same time he's working on this as a producer, he's got his latest film as a director, The Invisible, which is just now coming out, um, I believe, in the next month or so. Um, he's also working as a writer on properties um, Here There Be Dragons, Scanners, Voltron, and Street Fighter. So he's a busy guy who knows how long this might take if it even happens. Sounds like a cool concept. I mean, regardless of whoever they use. It'll be a story to watch with interest anyway. Now let's get on the rumor treadmill where we talk about casting and other info that hasn't been verified yet but might be of interest to us. So first up, some Spider-Man rumors. Um, Spider-Man 3 isn't even released yet, but already people are talking about Spider-Man 4. In the uh, last couple of weeks, we had talked about uh, the idea that all three of the top people, which basically is the director, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, and Mary Jane, Kirsten Dunst, were all contracted for three films, and they've now done three films. So there's, they're under no obligation to do any further films. The studio obviously is making money. The producers are doing very successful, so they're going to want to continue. So it's been a question of if they do continue, whether any of those three will be involved. And over the course of the last two weeks, there have been interviews with all three of them where at one time or another, they've all kind of mentioned that they would be willing to do it, but only if the other two do it as well. And uh, that's happened before where, where people will kind of act as a team, either either from a creative standpoint where they say they don't want to do it because the others do it, or they will only do it if the money is the same. As far as any of it goes, Spider-Man 3 has to be out first. <laughs> um, I know previously pretty much as soon as the opening weekend numbers were in, that following Monday is when they went ahead and started making the deals for the following film. I imagine they would probably do the same thing here, although all three of them, in addition to saying that they would do it if the other two came back, all three of them kind of said they would want to wait quite a bit first. Yeah, chances are the studio won't want to wait. So, I mean, that that could work, it could not. I I would imagine that all three of them are really anxious to, to work on other stuff, especially Sam Raimi, because he's had to devote pretty much the last few years of his life. Right, he's, he's basically been working on Spider-Man for about 10 years now straight. Mm-hmm. And he's I'm sure he's anxious to do something else. I know he's they're talking to him about doing uh, The Hobbit, the prequel to Lord of the Rings. Right, that was rumored, yeah, a couple months ago, I remember. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I could see that being true. I'm sure it is. I, I could see them all agreeing to do another one, but I can't see them all agreeing to do another one fast enough for the studio because the studio will want one right away. Um, in casting news, this one, um, pretty, pretty solid, um, that basically they're in talks. They just haven't finalized the deal. So when usually there's an actual announcement or not an announcement, but a story in like Variety or Hollywood Reporter where someone's in final negotiations or someone's in talks to play a part, it usually happens. It, it very rarely falls through. Um, we told you, uh, last time that Emil Hirsch is going to be playing Speed Racer in, uh, the Wachowski Brothers film of Speed Racer. Um, they are in final talks with Susan Sarandon and John Goodman to play his parents, to play uh, Mom and Pop Racer. They've got good voices. I think that'll work out well. Oh, this is live action. As they're there live up on screen, I think they've got good voices. That should work out well. <laughs> <laughs> no other thoughts on that? <laughs> I have nothing to add. I, I have okay. no Speed Racer at all, so I just have nothing to say about it. Yeah, that. I'd never read Speed Racer that saw some of the cartoon, but there, there you go. That's about it. 
So here's in some non-casting news. Uh, this is why this fills under the rumor mill, because these are th- or the rumor treadmill. These are things that pop up on the internet and pop off just as quickly. Um, Nadia Bjorlin, an actress I've never heard of, who's been in some films that I've never heard of, the film coming out called Redline. Um, she was also in Days of Our Lives, but pretty much uh, most of the other things she'd been in I'd never heard of, um, is not playing Wonder Woman. We never actually thought she was, but uh, in an interview with her, she commented on people talking about her playing it on the internet. I kind of checked into that, and the only place anyone had talked about her playing Wonder Woman were in discussions on the Internet Movie Database bulletin board. So there wasn't even any rumor that she was playing it, but now it's already been discounted. So this is what we've been reduced to. We have to debunk rumors of non-casting. Exactly. (laughs) We have to make long lists of people who will not be playing Wonder Woman. Right. For the record, I will not be playing Wonder Woman. Well, and, and I'm relieved, let me tell you. I'm relieved for, for Nadia as well, that she she can go through the rest of her career without the burden of, of playing Wonder Woman. Uh, here's a rumor. Here's a rumor that just came out today. Um, Jason Schwartzman, um, who people would recognize from Rushmore, um, he is rumored to be in a cameo in Spider-Man Three. Um, the cameo would be him appearing on stage with Mary Jane. We'd established in uh, Spider-Man Two that she has a thriving career on Broadway. People who remember the film Mary Antoinette that just came out last year will remember that Jason Schwartzman uh, played King Louis to. Kirsten Dunst, Marie Antoinette. So, so that would be a good reason why that rumor might be true. Certainly feasible. Certainly not important either way. But yeah, yeah, it's not exactly like it's going to impact the film in any way. But it'd be kind of fun to see them on stage together in the film. And uh, here's another one of those uh, <laughs> rumor rumors. Um, this uh, coming out of the. Uh, rumor magazines online that Orlando Bloom was seen talking in a restaurant with producer John Peters, uh, producer of the Superman films, uh, John Peters' wife and director of Superman, Brian Singer, which immediately uh, created speculation about him possibly being in a future Superman sequel, uh, given that that film's still not uh, at the moment um, that much closer to happening. I mean, I know Brian Singer's working on it, but he's working on it after his next film. Um, I, I would call this heavily rumored. Um, kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier about uh, who the villains were for it. He could be one of them. He could not be. It, it might not mean anything. He might have just been going to dinner. Yeah, maybe they were just having dinner. Yeah, I can't see him playing Brainiac. He'd have to shave off all those pretty locks he's got. Yeah, that's true. And he wouldn't be able to carry a sword. Orlando Bloom has to carry a sword <laughs> in every movie he's in. Any Superman villains with swords? Hmm. Uh, nothing comes to mind. I'm sure there is oh, one. Dang. Nobody major, though. A Superman character whose power is to make women all over the world swoon. Right, and carry a sword. And carry a sword. Yes, that's the important thing. With pretty hair. Yes. Devilish combination. So uh, let's get off the treadmill for this week, um, but keep checking everything out at SuperheroCinema.com every day. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, If you haven't already, click on the subscribe link on our website to subscribe to the podcast or find us on iTunes by searching for Superhero Cinema. If you have any news stories, suggestions for what you'd like us to talk about, or any comments on the show, we would really love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at superherocinema.com. You can even leave us voicemail on Skype. Our Skype name is Superhero Cinema. Thank you, Jefferson and Jonathan. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, Michael. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you keep showing up for Superhero Cinema. We're saving the world one fan at a time.